Uh, With that being said, we are now turning to our scripture passages. We have two Old Testament scriptures and one New Testament scripture. Uh, As you know, we're going through the Heidelberg Catechism, and we're in the section on gratitude, which is the the part where it has the exposition of God's law. So, uh, would you join me in reading Exodus chapter 20, verse 1 through 17, focusing upon the third commandment. Exodus 20, 1 through 17, focusing upon the third commandment, since that is what we're going to be looking at tonight. Here now the reading of God's word. God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, But he rested on the seventh day, therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land your God has given you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. We're also going to be looking at Leviticus chapter 24, verses 10 through 16. Leviticus chapter 24, verse 10 through 16. This is the application of the third commandment, the taking of the Lord's name in vain, seen in practice. Now the son of an Israelite mother and an Egyptian father went out among the Israelites, and a fight broke out in the camp between him and an Israelite. The son of the Israelite woman blasphemed the name with a curse, so they brought him to Moses. His mother's name was Shilameth, the daughter of Dibri the Danite. They put him in custody until the will of the Lord should be made clear to them. Then the Lord said to Moses, Take the blasphemer outside the camp. All those who heard him are to lay their hands on his head, and the entire assembly is to stone him. Say to the Israelites, If anyone curses his God, he will be held responsible. Anyone who blasphemes the name of the Lord must be put to death. The entire assembly must stone him, whether an alien or native-born. When he blasphemes the name, he must be put to death. And then we're also going to be looking at Matthew chapter 23, verse 16 through 22. In the New Testament, Matthew chapter 23, verse 16 through 22. This is Jesus speaking to the religious leaders, giving them the seven woes. Woe to you, blind guides. You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. 
You blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You also say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift on it, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Therefore, he who swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And he who swears by the temple swears by it and by the one who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and by the one who sits on it. Woe to you, teachers. Oh, that's it. Uh, that's thus far the reading of God's word. May he blesses the hands, hearts, and minds of his people. We're also going to be looking at Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 36 and 37. Lord's Day 36 and 37. So far, we've looked at the first and the second command. Lord's Day 36 and 37 are about the third commandment. Uh, listen to the questions and the answers. Question 99 says, What is God's will for us in the third commandment? And the answer is, That we neither blaspheme nor misuse the name of God by cursing, perjury, or unnecessary oaths, nor share in such horrible sins by being silent bystanders. In a word, it requires that we use the holy name of God only with reverence and awe, so that we may properly confess Him, pray to Him, and praise Him in everything we do and say. Question 100 asks, Is blasphemy of God's name by swearing and cursing really such serious sin that God is angry also with those who do not do it all, do all they can to help prevent it and to forbid it? The answer is yes, indeed. No sin is greater. No sin makes God more angry than blaspheming his name. That's why he commanded the death penalty for it. Lord's Day 37, question 101. But may we swear an oath in God's name if we do it reverently? The answer is yes. When the government demands it, or when necessity requires it, in order to maintain and promote truth and trustworthiness for God's glory and our, and our neighbor's good, such oaths are approved in God's word and were rightly used by Old and New Testament believers. Question 102. May we swear by saints or other creatures? The answer is no. A legitimate oath means calling upon God as the one who knows my heart to witness to my truthfulness and to punish me if I swear falsely. No creature is worthy of such honor. That's the teaching of the catechism. So much about the third commandment is based around what it means to take the Lord's name in vain. And a lot of the association that we get with the third commandment is about words. Words we say. Curses. Curse words. And, uh, and, and it seems in, in a lot of ways like the catechism is taking the same approach. It's about things that are on, on our mouth, things that we say. But I want us to think of a scripture passage that I think helps us think of the third commandment in a different light. It's Isaiah 43, verse 1. Isaiah 43, verse 1. 
is a pretty familiar passage. You probably know it. It says, but now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by my name. You are mine. Summoned by his name. We belong to God because he summoned us by his name. He's put his name on us. And that's why tonight as we think of the third commandment, I want us to have this in mind, our theme God calls us to carry his name as his representatives. God calls us to carry his name as his representatives. And we've got Three points tonight. The significance of his name, the protection, right? And the proper use. The significance of his name, the protection of his name, and the proper use of his name. The significance of his name, I want us to look at the commandment, Exodus 20, verse 7. Exodus 20, verse 7 says, You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. You shall not misuse the name of of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses the name. Uh, and the old, uh, the old King James says, "You shall not take the Lord's name in vain." So take in vain. In the NIV, it's understood that as you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Uh, so misuse the name of the Lord your God is a combination of take in vain. Misuse is how they understand that. Misuse the name of the Lord your God. But the word take here in the Hebrew is the same word for carry. Which is why I've added it to our theme statement tonight. It's about carrying the name of the Lord. Carrying the name of the Lord should invoke something to us, I think, and that is we are the Imago Dei. We are made in the image of God, and so in a sense, 
We carry the imprint of God upon us. And that's why we are moral beings. That's why we are uh, creatures who have a sense of conscience, a sense of right and wrong, right? Um, but even more important in the terms of the lives of, of Israel, God's people, is that God actually, uh, in, a, in a special, in a significant, unique way, uh, placed his name upon them. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you. That's the Lord um, who Moses said, who should I tell them who you are? They're going to want to know your name. What's your name? I am that I am. Yahweh is the Lord's name. But what is in a name, right? What is in a name... I mean, we live in a day and age where people uh, name their children the strangest and most weirdest things. Uh, and there seems to be no meaning to the names which are given uh, to people nowadays. But there was a time and there still are many people who understand the significance of naming your children with something that has weight to it. A name that means something. And this is a God who has given us uh, his name but his name stands for something. His name stands for who he is. His being. And so it's not just simply that God is asking us in his commandments to not take his name in vain. But that his name stands for himself. And so to take someone's name in vain is actually to take the person in vain. And this is why it's important to understand that take means to carry. Because the people of Israel are carrying the name of their God in a special, unique way now. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. That is the Lord, Yahweh. And now you are known as Yahweh's people. You carry my name, not only because you are made in the image of God, but because I have picked you, chosen you, called you as my own, as Isaiah 43.1 says, right? And vain here, vain carries the idea of with no meaning, worthless, related to vanity, the word we have for vanity, or empty. It's a, it's a word that's used often in Ecclesiastes, and it means like the wind, empty, right? Vanity, vanity. So we're not to carry the name of the Lord as if it means nothing. As if it means nothing that we are made in the image of God. As if it means nothing that we are called His very own people. question and answer 99 says what is God's will for us in the third commandment that we neither blaspheme nor misuse the name of God by cursing perjury or unnecessary oaths so that's focusing upon the words right the words that we use but even when we talk about the words that we use we have to remember what Jesus said 
that all the words that come out of a man's mouth come from his heart, the overflow of his heart. So it all starts at the heart. Nor share in such horrible sins by being silent bystanders. In a word, it requires that we use the holy name of God only with reverence and awe. Why? Is it because God's name is more significant and important than all other names? But because No, it's because the being God, the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the person is more significant than all other things because he is the creator God and his name represents him. So that we may properly confess him, pray to him. And this is where the catechism connects to this idea of carrying. It's not just about what we say, it's about everything that we say and do, the third commandment, right? Because he says, and praise him in everything we do and say. We are walking, breathing, talking, thinking images of God. And we're called to be holy as he is holy. And if we are believers, then God has placed his name upon us in a unique and significant way, just as he did the people of Israel. And we are called not only in the things that we say, but in the things that we do to honor the name of God. The significance of the name of God is that the name of God represents who God is. And to make light of that is to make light of God. All right, so let's go to the second point. Second point is the protection of the name of God. We're looking at question and answer 100 for this. Leviticus 24 is a moment in the camp where we see that a blasphemer, one who blasphemes the name of God. We don't have all the details about what went on here. The son of the Israelite woman blasphemed the name with a curse when he was fighting with another Israelite. And they put him in custody and they asked the will of the Lord uh, what should be done about this. What exactly was said? Was it a direct attack upon uh, Yahweh God and his character? Did they... Did he say he cursed, he put a curse upon their God? Whatever it may be, uh, what we know is that what was, done, what was done was deemed blasphemy. He blasphemed the name with a curse. And they go and they ask the Lord, and the Lord tells them that the importance of protecting the name of God is so significant that God's name and its uh, being held in high regard it's such an important element and aspect for the continuation of a healthy culture and society. And that, there, that this is such a great sin. 
that what must be done is that the person who blasphemes must be put to death. Taken outside the camp. Lay, everyone's to lay their hands on his head and the entire assembly is to stone him. And then say to the Israelites, if anyone curses his God, he will be held responsible. Anyone who blasphemes in the name of the Lord must be put to death. The entire assembly must stone him. Whether an alien or native born, when he blasphemes the name, he must be put to death. And so many of us maybe are, are reading this and thinking, wow, that is... That is heavy. And question 100 asks the question, is blasphemy of God's name by swearing and cursing really such serious sin that God is angry also with those who do not do all they can to help prevent it and to forbid it? Yes, indeed, no sin is greater. I mean, when I read that in the catechism, no sin is greater I wonder if we really believe that, if we really think that. No sin makes God more angry than blaspheming his name. That's why he commanded the death penalty for it. And we might be thinking blasphemy laws seem so foreign to us nowadays. And, and when we see here that this law that, that condemns certain kinds of speech, which I would think, it, like I said, goes beyond that. It goes beyond the speech and it goes to not only the things that we say, but the things that we do. Um, it's such a far fret, far, uh, it's so far fetched from our, our everyday experience. But you realize that every Every country has blasphemy laws. It's just whether we have laws against blaspheming the true God or false gods. And there's laws in the books and laws trying to be placed uh, on the books that we, uh, we'd be forced to, to say to transgender people what their preferred pronoun is that we would not have the freedom um, to address them as God addresses them. Uh, there's rules about what you can say and cannot say. And so uh, laws about blasphemy are actually not too, as far-fetched as we think they are. And if there's going to be one law about blasphemy, it should be a law that protects the holy name of the one true and living God so that, that God could be honored and revered and respected in that society and that culture. And there's such an emphasis placed upon Lord's Day 36 of even the, 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 uh, the, the duty, the responsibility of fellow people to keep us revering God's word honoring God's word. And the truth is, if we don't revere God's name with our mouths, with our lips, with what we say, it's not too far after that. We're not going to revere God, respect God, follow God in what we do. Because out of the fullness of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? So when we're carrying the name of God, it's not just when we say the name of God. It's who we are as people made in the image of God. And it's who we are as God's people. 
And uh, Lord's Day 36 was written in a time and a day and age when the uh, majority of the culture was Christian culture. The way they did um, uh, counted people as citizens and how many people were born was by numbering the baptisms that were recorded at churches. And so in, in, in question 99, it says, um, by sharing such horrible sins about being silent bystanders, we're, not, we're called not to even be silent bystanders in the dishonoring of God's name, the taking of God's name in vain. And then in question 100, it says, No sin is greater, no sin makes God more angry uh, no, than blaspheming his name. We are called to do all that we can to help prevent it and forbid it. Because it is when we dishonor God's God. In his name, with our mouth, that we realize that the heart has already gone far from him. That we're not carrying the name of the Lord anymore. And so if you think that the death penalty is a strong, too strong of a punishment that was given in the Old Testament for um, taking the Lord's name in vain, blaspheming the name of the Lord, just think about what is happening and what's gone on and our society and our culture because we have allowed, accepted, it's become normalized to say things like GD or JC or whatever other variations that you'd like to put on it or simply dishonoring and treating flippantly the God of the Bible. That's a degradation of society at work. And I say this to you because there is one truth that needs to be said about protecting the name of the Lord our God. If this is to be an expression of gratitude, it's a reminder to us that we're all blasphemers. That we've all fallen short of the third commandment. And that we need someone to be in our place who perfectly... honors God's name. And we're going to talk about that in a second. Before we get to that, let's look at this last point. Because there would be some who would look at the scriptures, right? And would say that this commandment is really a commandment against all oath-taking and all... Um, all things like that, and there are some, there are some uh, scripture passages, scripture verses that seem to even point to that way. Well, Lord's Day thirty-seven talks about the proper use of taking the Lord's uh, name, a way that we can do it that's not in vain, and that's why I read Matthew chapter twenty-three because Matthew chapter twenty-three, Jesus condemns the religious leaders for. Um, playing games with oath-taking. They would say, anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing, but if they swear by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. Jesus is saying, you don't understand what's greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred. You also say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing, but if anyone swears by the gift on it, he's bound by his oath. You blame it, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Therefore, he who swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And he who swears by the temple swears by it and by the one who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and by the one who sits 
on it. So um, what Jesus is saying is not, woe to you because you made O's and you shouldn't make O's. What he's saying is, woe to you because you make O's in sneaky and conniving and ridiculous ways without understanding what is being gone on. He says, if you're going to swear an oath and do it properly, you do it by taking the Lord's name appropriately, rightly. And the catechism gives an example of this. It says, when government demands it, when necessity requires it, in order to maintain and promote truth and trustworthiness for God's glory and our neighbor's good, such oaths are approved in God's word and were rightly used by all the New Testament believers. And we continue these practices today in, uh, in the court and placing our hand on the Bible and saying, uh, I will tell the truth, the whole truth, uh, nothing but the truth, so help me God. And basically what you're doing when you make a proper oath upon God's name is you're saying, if I don't tell the truth, if I don't be honest, then God can punish me, curse me. And that's why it says, may we swear an oath by saints or other creatures. You can only swear an oath upon something that is ultimate. A legitimate oath means calling upon God as the one who knows my heart to witness to my truthfulness. And to punish me if I swear falsely, no creature is worthy of such honor, only the creator. So a proper oath is not, not using the Lord's name. It's using the Lord's name in the proper way. Recognizing and acknowledging him as creator and asking his name to be called upon in order to testify to the truth, uh, truthfulness and trustworthiness of what it is that you're saying. And these are, uh, there's plenty of examples of these kinds of oaths. Deuteronomy 6.13, Deuteronomy 10, verse 20, Jeremiah 4, verse 1, verse 2, Hebrews 6, verse 16, um, can go on. And they were rightly used by all the New Testament believers. This is not something that's been eradicated. We can use proper oaths. We can take oaths properly and when it's done the right way. But I want to get back to that final thought. This is the, about the proper use, but I want to get back to that final thought. We read that, that the, uh, the crime of blasphemy is punishable by death. And we realize that we've all blasphemed, Right? We're all blasphemers. And so we need one who is not a blasphemer. And of course, it's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ goes to the cross as one who has not blasphemed, and he gets the wrath of God against all the sins of blasphemy poured out upon him so that we who are blasphemers can now look at God's law in the element, in the expression of gratitude and desire to honor and reverence God not only with what we say but what we do and remember what I said about Israel so that we're all, we're all we all carry the name of God in a sense because we are made in the image of God but Israel carried the name of God in a unique sense because God chose them placed his name upon them but when Jesus Christ came The people of Israel, who were chosen in a unique way, uh, came to the fuller understanding of the salvation that is in Jesus Christ, and it's not just for them, right? And so, 
the way that we as New Testament believers have the name of God put upon us is we have the name of Jesus Christ, which we are told in Philippians chapter 2 because of what he's done, his coming, his dying, his resurrection, that he has the name above all names. Philippians 2, verse 5 through 11. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as man. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name. The name of that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of the glory of God the Father. And so in the same way that we read in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 1, that God has called Israel by name, in the same way that we understand that we all carry the name of God because we are made in the image of God, but that Israel, the people of Israel, carry the name of God in a unique way because God placed his name upon them, we should look for a counterpart in the New Testament. And if you remember in the book of Acts, chapter 11, at Antioch, we read this little small phrase, and this is the first place where the church was called Christians. Christians means little Christ. That we now carry the name of God. We carry the name of Christ. And so, the way we honor and obey and seek to express our gratitude to God for the salvation that we received in Jesus Christ by, in the third commandment is by continuously desiring to be conformed and renewed into the image of Jesus Christ, that as we carry the name of Christ because we're made in the image of God and we're being conformed and transformed into the image of Jesus Christ who is the perfect expression of the image of God, that as we carry the name of Christ, as we're called Christians, little Christ, we would not blaspheme him because we are becoming more and more like him. That somebody could not look at us and say, you call yourself a Christian? Well, you're nothing like Jesus. But as we grow and as we learn, as, we're, uh, as the Spirit is working on us, as we're being sanctified, we become more and more like Jesus Christ. And that is something that expresses gratitude to God. That those who were blasphemers, whom Christ had to die for, are now becoming those who seek to honor and reverence him with their lives, with what they say, and with what they do, because they're becoming more like his son, Jesus. That's what it means for God to call us to carry his name as his representatives. That we carry the name of Christ. I pray that you would carry the name of Christ proudly and boldly this week. Amen. Pray me. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. And thank you that you've given us Jesus Christ. 
died on the cross for our sins of blasphemy and who has who is renewing us into his image that we may be more like him the one who perfectly honored and revered you and all he said and did to christ's name we pray amen